0: Thank you, Harvey. Thank you, Chris and worship team. I think that is my favorite hymn. Strength for today, bright hope for tomorrow. Good words to start a new year. And uh, I'm so glad that you're here with us this morning watching online. Welcome. This morning I'm going to speak about Barnabas, the son of encouragement and... Barnabas is a figure that has intrigued me for a very long time, and really has become my biblical uh, mentor, and I've tried to model my ministry in many ways uh, after his life and the encouragement that he is to me. So when I was applying for a church in Scarborough uh, some years ago, I put right in the, uh, the resume there that my biblical mentor was Barnabas. Unfortunately, there was a typo in in that, and so I presented that my biblical mentor was Barabbas. (laughs) So that's bad enough, but the church went on to hire me, so I, I don't know what that says. But in any case, Barabbas, not Barnabas, the other way around, is my biblical mentor. And I think about encouragement and just what that means, to care, to be present with someone, to come along someone and inspire them with confidence, literally to breathe God into them, to enthuse them, a courage transfusion. This is more than just saying, hey, good job. It's it's really seeing some quality in that person. Maybe they don't see it themselves, and calling that out, calling out that gifting, that hope, within them. One of the names of the Holy Spirit is the paraclete, the parakaleo, the one called alongside to encourage. And that's what the Holy Spirit does for us. And that's what we need to do for each other. Mackenzie, my son, many of you know him. He's 24 today. It's his birthday. and. Uh, as I was thinking back on, on when we discovered, about five months before he was born, we discovered that he would have Down syndrome, and I was scary. Uh, there's no other way to say it. I was, I was scared. I didn't know what it would mean for him. I didn't know what it would mean for us, and so part of just getting our heads around that was a visit to friends who had a then 25-year-old son with Down syndrome. And so I went to visit with them, and they gave me some great insight into what it might mean and, and various things. And, and then uh, the mom turned to me and said, well, now, what are you going to call your son? And I said, well, it was going to be Mackenzie, but that's out. It's too hard to spell, kind of hard to say. We'll get something more simple. She got kind of a funny look on her face, and she said, well, you call your son whatever you like but don't decide ahead of time what he can't do. Isn't that great? And so, yes, we called him Mackenzie, and he has, of course, surprised us every day with, in fact, what he has accomplished and what he has done and the great gift of encouragement that he is to us. Let's not decide ahead of time what someone can't do, but rather... Let's see in them things that they can do. Maybe they don't see. And call that out. That's encouragement. We need it. Kids need it, right? Coming alongside and just saying, you can do this. This is a skill you have. You might want to try this. Youth. Maybe getting up at church and maybe doing things a little differently or saying things that we didn't think were quite right Do we pounce on that or we come alongside and encourage and be so glad that a new generation is falling in love with Jesus? What about a young mom who at the end of the day wonders if she's even done a good job at all? I remember when another son of mine um, had some difficulties for the first couple of years of his life to the point that I think he cried for two years straight. I think that's, that's our memory anyway. It was pretty much two years of straight crying. And I would come home uh, from work, and uh, Carrie, my wife, would be on the front porch, parka on, baby in hand, and she'd say, Here. <laughs> and, and she'd go off in the car. I said, Are you coming back? She'd say, I don't know. But in the midst of that, she would say, but your mom, speaking of my mom, would always come to me and say, oh, Carrie, you're such a good mom. You're doing a great job. And she said, you have no idea what that meant to me um, in those days. That encouragement that, yeah, you're doing a good job. Think about the effect that your words can have on those that are in your life. Employers, think about your employees. Think about what your words can mean to them. Of course, in all these places, there's time for correction. There's time for, you know, time for firm words. But how powerful are words of encouragement to call out life and to bring out the best in people? And I think, boy, is that ever necessary? Think about healthcare workers now. Long gone are the days of banging pots on porches. And yet... Health workers continue to deal with these difficult times. They need encouragement. What about grocery clerks? The people that maybe get the brunt of our frustration when things are just not the way we want them to be. What about people who are paid minimum wage and maybe we're on the phone and they don't always get the best of me in those occasions? They need encouragement. I love how God changes names. Abram, meaning father. God comes to him and says, I see so much more in you. I'm going to call you Abraham, father of nations. What about Jacob, whose name meant deceiver, and it actually fit pretty well. But God says, I see you as so much more than a deceiver. I'm going to call you Israel. The one who prevails. Peter, oh, yeah, your name is Simon, little pebble, but I'm going to call you Peter, a rock, because I see so much more in you. God is our encourager, and we have that ministry with each other. Barnabas, actually, that wasn't his name, his name was Joseph, but people saw him and gave him the nickname. That Joseph guy, he's a real Barnabas. He's a real son of encouragement. And it stuck. He was present with people, he saw their potential. And he came alongside them, and that encouragement in their lives was always significant. It always made a huge difference. And that's what I want to look at with you today. If, um, if you have your Bibles, and I actually encourage you to take your device, your Bible, if you're at home, maybe you want to just actually pause. Uh, the video for a moment, go grab a Bible or device, because we're going to be going through verse by verse here, and it may be really helpful to you to have that in front of you. And if that's the case, please open to Acts chapter 1. Acts chapter 1. On this one, actually, we're not 100% sure this is our guy, Barnabas, but if it is, it's pretty interesting. They're trying to figure out a replacement for Judas at this point, and so they nominate two men, Joseph, called Barsabbas, or it's a textual variant that could be Barnabas and Matthias. They cast lots. The lot falls to Matthias, and so he was added to the 11 apostles. If this is our guy, our Barnabas, then he had to choose in this occasion not to be bitter that he wasn't chosen. Instead, he said, okay, if that's what it is, that's fine. We'll get behind Matthias and move on. But in chapter 4 of Acts, we are 100% sure that this is our Barnabas. And we see him there in chapter 4 encouraging the brand-new church, the church meeting in Jerusalem. So we read there in verse 34... From time to time, those who owned land or houses sold them, brought the money from the sales, and put it at the apostles' feet, and it was distributed to anyone who had need. Now, we got to ask, first of all, why was this happening? Why was all this sharing necessary? Well, remember that the church started on the day of Pentecost. That was a Jewish festival. And so Jewish people from all over the Roman Empire would come to Jerusalem with the intent, we're gonna go there, celebrate that Pentecost uh, festival, and then we'll we'll head home. So they brought enough money, presumably, for a short stay. The Holy Spirit had other ideas. He falls on that church. Many people, thousands, become Christians from all over the empire. They don't wanna just leave the next day. They wanna stay and learn more about this, stay in community, but they hadn't the resources to do so. And so a practical need arose and people sold things and encouraged the church. And Barnabas was one of those people. He's singled out for selling a piece of land, bringing that money and alleviating the needs, the financial needs of that young early church. But in doing so, he encouraged this vulnerable young group that were so tiny at that time, and in such danger from those around them, he encouraged them. He saw their potential, even with their vulnerability, and he was drawn to encourage them. And it was a good investment. As we keep on reading in the book of Acts, we see that there were salvations, there were miracles, there was growth, but then there was persecution. In Acts Chapter 7, we see the first Christian martyr as Stephen is stoned to death. The church is scattered all through the uh, surrounding regions. We flip over to Acts chapter 9, and we see there that one man in particular is leading this persecution. He's introduced to us as Saul of Tarsus. We know him better now as Paul, but Saul, his Hebrew name, At this time, he is leading this persecution. But then, the church hears that this Saul has become a Christian. And the response to that would be, well, he's the man that took my family from me to prison or worse, and now you're telling me he's a Christian? Well, number one, I don't believe it. I think it's all a bit of a trick to he'll infiltrate, get more information on us, and then the persecution will ramp up. But even if he is a Christian, I'm not sure I want to sit in the pew next to him after what he has done. And so that, all of that gives us a context for how Saul would have been feeling at this point. He's lost his family. They've turned on him because of his conversion. He's lost his job, his prestige in his community. And now even the Christian community isn't quite sure what to do with him. And honestly, at this moment, we may have lost Saul completely, except for Barnabas. Barnabas, we find now, encourages Saul, the former persecutor, Chapter 9, verse 26, when Saul came to Jerusalem, he tried to join the disciples, but they were all afraid of him. Can you blame them? Not believing he was really a disciple, but Barnabas took him and brought him to the apostles. What would have happened if not for Barnabas? Barnabas risks his reputation with the apostles to stand up for this young convert. We read on, he told them how Saul on his journey had seen the Lord, and that the Lord had spoken to him, and how in Damascus he had preached fearlessly in the name of Jesus. So Saul stayed with them, speaking boldly in the name of the Lord. Barnabas befriends Saul when there was absolutely no benefit to him to do so. He introduces him. He speaks of the word of God in his life. He's got well-researched, laid-out facts. And, And this important, he offers to Saul forgiveness on behalf of the Christian community that he has hurt. All through Paul's letters, you see him referring back to the fact, the grace of God that was shown to him because he was a persecutor and yet God had mercy. And Barnabas was the one to speak that mercy to him. He was the one to speak to Saul in his shame and guilt that he would feel and offer forgiveness on behalf of this community. It's beautiful. It took courage. And at this vulnerable moment, he was the mouthpiece of God, speaking encouragement. I love uh, Lion, Witch, and the Wardrobe. And if, if you know the story at all, you know that Edmund, one of the children, uh, betrays Aslan, who represents Jesus Christ. And, and he, uh, in betraying him, of course, he causes great pain even to his siblings. There's a beautiful moment when, maybe from the film you remember it, but the, Aslan the lion and, and Edmund the young boy, they go into a tent and they have a private meeting and we don't see it. But then they come out. And Edmund meets his siblings again. And Aslan merely says, we will not speak of what is past. We're not going there. Yes, Saul, you have a past. We're not going to dwell there. All that is in the past. You are forgiven and you are encouraged into community. This is a turning point for Saul. You may have heard of uh, the speaker Howard Hendrick. He was quite famous a generation ago as a, uh, as a speaker. I heard him on one occasion talk about his childhood, how from grade to grade his teachers could hardly wait for June to sort of move him on to the next level because he was such a pain in the neck, such a problem for them. And so he came into his grade 6 class and thought, here we go again. And this woman walked into the class and looked him right in the eye and said, Howard, I've heard a lot about you, and I don't believe a word of it. And he said something about this woman's strength, that she looked him in the eye and said, I don't believe a word of it, told him that he did not have to be defined by his past. This was a brand new start. Saul was a new convert speaking boldly in the name of the Lord. If you're still in, in uh, chapter 9 and verse 29, he debates with the Jews, but they tried to kill him. When the believers learned of this, they sent him off to Tarsus. Then curiously we read, then the church enjoyed a time of peace and was strengthened and encouraged by the Holy Spirit It increased in numbers. What are we to make of this? Well, we know how the story turns out maybe, but right now we have Saul, this new convert, and he's he's passionate, but frankly, he's stirring up trouble. It's just easier with him gone. And there's peace because he's not here anymore. And it's like he has to go off into obscurity. And would we ever have heard of Paul again? It's actually a 14-year period that we don't hear anything from Saul. You know, right now, some of us are, are kind of in that time of obscurity. Isn't it true that this, these last couple of years, we felt more isolated from each other? Isn't it true that maybe some of us, I know I have, kind of cocooned a little bit and kind of come into my own little world a little bit? And, you know, maybe some of us need to be Barnabas people that kind of reach out a little bit to some who have maybe cocooned, or a little bit in obscurity, and just kind of encouraged back into community. Saul knew what that isolation was about, and he needed a Barnabas to call him back, as we will see, into community. Now, what are the results? Well, if Barnabas gets Paul back into community and into uh, Christian ministry... He also encouraged a man called Mark, we're going to see. Through Paul, Luke becomes a part of Christian community. Paul, Mark, Luke, that's most of the New Testament. So this insignificant figure, Barnabas, has a rather significant place in the history of the church. You look at the book of Acts and you think, who are the big guns in Acts? And of course you'd say, well, Peter first 12 chapters, they're all about Peter. Paul, first, the last 12 chapters, they're all about, more than that, last 16 chapters, they're all about Paul, the big guns. Hmm. But Barnabas was the one who encouraged. You can say, oh, these, you know, Christian, that great leader, you might name someone. But what about you? Maybe you have a gift of encouragement and you have no idea who it is that you're encouraging and what they're going to go on to do. You have no idea how your words of life that you speak to someone else will impact them for years to come. Seeing the potential in someone else and speaking that life into their hearts. Larry Crabb, author, author, Christian psychologist, um, quite uh, influential. Uh, And he actually grew up in a Brethren Assembly. So he would have known a breaking of bread service that that many of you grew up in. And so at 13, he was uh, asked if he would lead in prayer at one of these meetings, and, and he did so. And it was an absolute theological gong show. He said it was a mess. He got up there, and he thanked the Holy Spirit for dying for us. He thanked the Son for sending the Father. It was a mess, and he knew it. And he knew he would, in that moment, decided, I will never, ever pray or do anything in public again. At the end of the service, he looked over, and a man started to approach him, a senior man from the congregation. And he saw him as being very stern as he came up and looked at him, And he said, now I'm really going to get it. And that man looked him in the eye and he said, Larry, whatever you do for the Lord, I am behind you 100%. He said he never forgot it. So he did pray again and became, in fact, a conference speaker speaking to thousands. But that man's encouragement at just the right time was so important. Barnabas encouraged the first international church in Antioch. For this, we flip over to Acts chapter 11. And so if you look there at verse uh, 20, you'll see those who had been scattered by persecution traveled as far as Antioch. Antioch was a bustling city at the time about the size of Kitchener, speaking the word only among Jews. Huh. Some, however began to speak to Greeks also, telling them the good news about the Lord Jesus. The Lord's hand was with them, and a great number of people believed and turned to the Lord. So they were scattered by persecution. They were speaking to Jews. That was good. But a few people got it and recognized that the gospel is not just for my people, people that look and think like me, but that God might in fact embrace people who think very differently than me and call them into community as well. And so they began to speak to Greeks as well. Stretching is hard, isn't it? Being called into community with people who are different than me is hard. This church in Antioch is fascinating because here it actually existed not through the Jerusalem church, not through the apostles, but just ordinary people who were scattered by persecution and got the gospel and started speaking to people who were different than them. And so here's this first international church. And it's interesting that that's where people were called Christians for the first time. News of this reaches the church of Jerusalem. News that people other than Jews were becoming Christians. And the apostles were like, huh, we better check this out. We better send somebody to check this out. Who should it be? Eh, we could send that Barnabas guy, yeah. He'd be a good man for the job. So they send him, and we read that he goes to Antioch. When he arrives, he saw what the grace of God had done. He was glad and encouraged them to remain true in the Lord with all their hearts. Instead of being suspicious or critical or, hey, that's not the way we do things, he's just glad. He encourages them. He sets them at ease. He gets that the gospel isn't for people who look and think only like me. My memories through ministry, unfortunately, are littered with vibrant youth who were deeply hurt by criticism. Criticism about their dress, about their style, about their speech, about something they said. And some of those actually walked from faith. How important it is that we encourage, that we see God at work. It may look different. We may not understand everything about it, but we don't define God's work by my preferred customs. Well, it's kind of an understatement to say right now that there is a great diversity of opinions among us right now. True? We're having trouble understanding each other. You know, it's nothing new. Here God is calling in this international church Jews and Gentiles to worship together. You can imagine how this might go. Let me get this right. You guys actually eat pigs? Let me hear you again. You take a sharp instrument to your infant? Can you see how those communities living together would be a challenge? I have been challenged as never before in these days. Do I believe in the unity of the church at the cross of Christ, or don't I? When I am standing on level ground at the cross in need of mercy, looking to our Savior, and I see my brother or sister there who might have a very different opinion on something than I, Do I see them with value and respect and honor and recognize our unity at the cross, or don't I? Barnabas observed the work of God in people who were very different than him, and he rejoiced, and he said, keep this up. And Luke says, he was a good man, this Barnabas guy, full of the Holy Spirit and faith, and a great number were brought to the Lord. Well, then we see Barnabas encouraging Saul out of obscurity. He'd been sidelined for about 14 years, but in verse 25 of chapter 11, we read, Barnabas went to Tarsus and looked for Saul to bring him to Antioch. And for a whole year, Barnabas and Saul went with the church and taught great numbers of people. The disciples were first called Christians at Antioch. So, Barnabas is already leading this successful revival. Things are going well. He's leading it. He could have you know, felt really good about that. I'm in charge of this great thing that God's doing. But he says, you know what? There are limits to my gifting. There's a guy I remember, that Saul guy. He has a greater gift for preaching than I'll ever have. I'm going to bring him here so he can work with me here. So he brings him, and Saul becomes an elder in the church. And Barnabas is not threatened by his different, more explosive style. If we flip to chapter 13 of the book of Acts, we read there about the elders of this church. We read about Barnabas, a Jewish Cypriot, Paul, a Hebrew Pharisee from Tarsus, Simeon, the Niger, or black man, which means that he was an African, Lucius, a Syrian Arab and Menaean, an Edomite from Herod's court, five elders, five nationalities. No wonder this church started the missionary movement. But then as we keep reading in chapter 13, a very interesting, subtle change occurs. With the elders, they're listed Barnabas first, Saul last. As they go out on their missionary journey, Barnabas and Saul... But then we read, oh, it was Saul who was speaking. A little bit later, we we read about Paul and his friends, no mention of Barnabas at all. And from then on, it's Paul and Barnabas. Why? Paul, Saul's more explosive public gift of teaching puts him into a place of prominence. Now, a lesser person than Barnabas would be threatened by that. But he's okay with it. Even though this is Cyprus, his home turf, he's okay. We read Barnabas encourages John Mark. This is Mark from the Gospel of Mark. So he was a young guy, and uh, we read here in chapter 12 and 13, we read when Barnabas and Saul had finished their mission, they returned from Jerusalem, taking with them John, also called Mark, John Mark was with them as their helper. Now, Mark was just a little bit younger than the disciples. So he was never really one of the 12. He also was sort of following from a distance and, and looking on and wondering, do I even have any place here? And Barnabas says, Mark, I want you to come and work with us, help us. It went reasonably well for a time. But unfortunately, in chapter 15, thank you for the honesty of the Scripture, but it's not a very nice story. Sometime later, Paul said to Barnabas, let's go back and visit the believers we preached and see how they're doing. So they're going to go on a second missionary journey. Barnabas wants to bring Mark with them. But Paul did not think it wise because Mark had deserted them on the previous trip. For whatever reason, he'd quit halfway through the trip. They had such a sharp disagreement that they parted company. Ouch. And the disagreement was over the issue of do we give Mark a second chance? Who was right here? It's actually not that simple. You see, they both had values. When we have disagreements with each other, we often fight at this level over the issue. He should come on the trip. No, he shouldn't come on the trip. But if they could have gotten underneath that to discover the values that were driving that disagreement, they might not have needed to part. For Paul, he had a value. When you start something, you finish it. That's a good value. For Barnabas, it's, There's mercy, and we give second chances. That's a good value. If they could have had that kind of discussion, it might have gone better. As it was, they never actually worked together again. But you know, Mark needed Paul's rebuke. He needed to know that this is serious stuff, and we don't just give up when it gets hard. But he also needed Barnabas' encouragement that, yes, you let us down, but we're going to give you a second chance. There were benefits, of course. There are now two missionary teams, but there were benefits to Mark. We have the gospel of Mark because Mark was given a second chance. And we find that even Paul appreciated Mark as the years went on. Later on, he writes, Have Mark come to me, for he is helpful to me in ministry. I even wonder if Paul, looking back on this disagreement, thought, you know, I could have done better back then. I wonder that because Paul had another young man in his life. His name was Timothy. Timothy was sickly. He was timid and He felt like quitting a lot. And I see in Paul's interaction with him far more patience and tenderness. And I wonder if maybe Paul had learned something from Barnabas. Our words are powerful. They can be curses. You're a loser. You can't do that. You're hopeless, and you'll never get it right. Those are curses. Or they can be life-giving. You did well. Do you know what? I think next time you're going to do even better with that. You have this quality in your life. What a privilege we have to speak life into other people and to be even a small part of their growth. Think about who's been an encouragement in your life. Maybe it's time to thank them, if you can. Or who has God put into your life that you have the position to encourage? Does it come easily to you, or or is it easier to point out what is wrong? Is there someone maybe you've been a bit hard on And you need to kind of change the channel a bit. Ask the Holy Spirit, the parakaleo, the one called alongside, the one who lives within you to encourage you to be an encouragement to someone else, a young mom, an employee, your partner, your spouse. Encourage one another, Paul writes, and build each other up just as in fact, you are doing, for me, the lesson in Mackenzie: don't decide ahead of time what somebody can't do. Think of the God of hope who sends the encourager to listen to live within us and listen to him as he says, "There's that person. Go encourage them." This is a new year and We need encouragement, right? We need to encourage each other. The Holy Spirit, the encourager, praying, fill us afresh that we can be an encouragement. Breathe into us so we can breathe that life into those we meet. Let's pray together. Finally, brothers and sisters, rejoice. May the God who gives endurance and encouragement Give you the same attitude of mind toward each other that Jesus Christ had. Encourage each other daily, as long as it is called today, so that none of you may become hardened or deceived. Strive for full restoration. Encourage one another. Be of one mind. Live in peace. And the God of love and peace will be with you. Spirit of the living God, Come fall afresh on us. Blow through the caverns of our souls. Flow in us to overflow. Amen.